They may not have seen it all, but they've experienced. Fourth and 26. Stinks it in trash. AI's crossover. Throwing batteries at J.D. Drew. Brad Lidge hugging Carlos Ruiz. The Legion of Doom. And thousands of wins and losses over three decades of fandom. Talking sports with a passion only Philly fans can comprehend. It's the Brotherly Love Podcast. Here are your hosts, Joe O'Donnell and John Mita. It's the Brotherly Love Podcast. SoundCloud, iTunes, what up? Joe O'Donnell, John Mita here with you. Follow us on Twitter at BelovePodcast. Been a while, but we're back in the saddle. Johnny Meats, how are you, my friend? Doing well, doing well. We tried to get one done in person, but our schedules, of course, did not line up, Joe. All good, brother. We did take in some of Bird's practice, that Open Eagles practice. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. But ironically enough, uh, we were scheduling one, potentially you and I, an in-person uh, live from Stone Harbor, New Jersey podcast, which would have been Sunday. Uh, we were hoping to knock it out. And usually after we do a podcast, something major happens. Uh, it was sad news, but certainly something major as far as Philadelphia sports goes. Sunday night, Darren Dutch Dalton passed away at the age of 55. And as I was reading the news, I'm thinking, man, we were about to do a podcast today. We would have done another podcast, and just like usual, something massive would have happened immediately thereafter, essentially deeming everything we talked about irrelevant. Um <laughs> But, you know, we never got the podcast done, and then you and I talked, said, look, we got to knock something out here, especially with the passing of Darren Dalton and uh, given the fact that the Eagles have their preseason opener in just a couple of days from now. So uh, we welcome you into the Brotherly Love podcast. We will start with the recent news that Darren Dalton has passed away. He lost his battle with brain cancer at the young age of 55, a longtime Philly part of that 93 team that won the NL championship and was uh, certainly a very influential team, not just baseball-wise, I think all of Philadelphia sports-wise, uh, not just for our generation, but probably even a generation older than us, John Mita. He was a legend, man. And you don't want to use that term loosely. And when I say legend, the Dutch was a legend for several reasons. First of all, he gave everything he had on the field. The guy was just, he was just an absolute warrior. And, he gave it his all and just the leadership. And the leadership is kind of one of those things that, that he brought to the table that was like understood, but it was kind of more of kind of phantom leadership because you didn't really hear about how he led, you know, one of the great teams, the 93 Phillies of our generation, Joe. But he was just outstanding. And what made him even more special, too, was the fact that he always, Always, always. Whenever you met Dutch in person, I've heard countless stories of people meet him. Unfortunately, I never had the opportunity to meet him one-on-one, but he always gave his ear to the fans. If you said, hey, Dutch, how you doing? He was the one athlete in our city over the last 30 years that would always stop, be gracious to fans, either take a picture, sign an autograph, do whatever it took, just hang out with the people. He was a man of the people and, and the man of the Philadelphia people. And that's why he'll go down as one of the most beloved athletes in Philadelphia sports history in any sport. He was just truly, and for me, this also hits home as well. Some people that listen to us might know my situation, but uh, my fiance Shauna, she has brain cancer. So, And my nephew has it. So th- 
this kind of hit really hard home on my end. And uh, it's truly a somber couple of days. It's going to be a somber couple of days for his family. And our condolences go out to his family. But let's celebrate, you know, the man that he was, the ball player that he was. And just remember all the good things that that guy did in this world because he was truly a remarkable person and a fantastic sports sports hero in our town as far as I'm concerned. You know, it's interesting you mentioned the leadership part of it because I feel like in the past 48 hours since the news hit, uh, we've we've heard a lot of that. We've seen a lot of that, um, you know, from Tommy Green to Mitch Williams to Lenny Dykstra. I mean, any of these, these old-time Phillies that have been interviewed, that's one of the first things they talk about. And I think you're right. There wasn't – I mean, everybody knew that Dykstra and Dalton were kind of the straws that stirred that drink, right? Um, you know, you had the, the personalities that were abound on that roster, Danny Jackson and uh, Pete Incavilia. I mean, they're just you go up and down the list. They were that, That's what they were, was a group of characters. You know, Kurt Schilling talking about Darren Dalton and the influence he had on his career and, and the things that Schilling went on to do and how much he helped him. I think that, to me, was kind of not stunning, but it was nice to hear that come to the forefront. Uh, so many of his former teammates just reaching out about the type of person he was and just how great a player he was and a leader he was and the type of, you know, the the type of example he set for that group. And that was, that to me was a team like, you know, I don't know, seventh grade or whatever year it was. But I remember getting off the bus and just like running down the street to get home in time to watch the Phillies in that, in that postseason run because a lot of those games were day games like the playoff games sometimes are. Coming home in what, you know, that Atlanta series was must-see must television. That was a team that, that captivated the city. They overachieved. They went from worst to first, you know, last place to first place. And outside of you know, sort of a Mitch Williams meltdown, they could be playing Game 7 for the World Series that year. And um, you know, a lot of it was Darren Dalton. Unfortunately, you know, the accident, what was it, the following year um, with, with him and Dykstra or a couple of years later, whatever it was. I mean, that, that was something that kind of jumps out to me as well. You know, when you think about Dalton, I just always I, I always put Dalton and Dykstra together. I don't know if that's because of the accident or what, but at the time, you know, you're 12, 13, 14 years old. These guys were the first athletes that you really remember a lot about, I feel like, um, that era, that those few years. And so for me... Uh, Darren Dalton, certainly a huge figure, and it was hard not to get misty-eyed uh, or you know somewhat emotional. I just I just kind of had like almost a pit in my stomach for a lot of Monday, especially reading some of these articles, hearing these interviews, and then the Phillies on Twitter had like put, posted like a four-minute video, Harry Callis in there with his calls and his induction into the Wall of Fame. I mean, it was really cool stuff. I, I'm glad he's being remembered the way he has been last couple of days in Philadelphia and, and and really even across Major League Baseball. Just to tell a quick funny story, I'll make it quick. We used to have a radio show on 97.5, The Fanatic in Philadelphia, talking baseball with Dutch. The, one of the greatest stories he ever told was him and Lenny Dykstra, of course, him and the dude getting after it in South Beach. Now, the good thing is that Darren Dolan had the day off. However, Dykstra did not have the day off. So, they're totally hungover. Dutch has the day off, and he's laughing his you know, to kill himself to watch Lenny go out there in 130 degrees. Now, that everyone remembers the umpire, Eric Gregg. You yep. can't miss Eric Gregg. Yep. He was a total Philly guy, wasn't he? MLB. Philly guy, just a huge man. And Lenny is arguing strikes and balls, and he is doing everything in his power 
to get out of this game. And yeah. Eric Gregg says, listen, Lenny, I know it's 115 degrees out here. If I got to be out here in this 115 degrees, so do you. <laughs> so I am not throwing you out of the game. That's and great. that story was told by Darren Dome, which was just, you can just see him and the dude party into the wee hours. But always brought it to, his, to the table on game day. You know, he definitely partied hard, but he played hard as well. And, you know, he kind of, the character I think of, I really think it's Darren Dome. To look at a guy like Jake Taylor in Major League. Yes, that, that, I know. You know, know that movie, like the, the catcher with the bad knees, the seasoned veteran, the leadership, the guy that holds everyone accountable and everyone on the team together. There were a couple personal situations that each player had, and he dealt with them all, man. I honestly God think that that script was written after Derek. I know, Dome, it's man. crazy. And, and, I, and it. I, I just had to look it up. But Major League came out in 89. Dalton by wow. then, Dalton by then had become an everyday. That was his first everyday type of seed. He played 131 games for the Phillies in '89. Yeah. Uh, he was an All Star in '92, '93, and '95. Uh, was Darren Dalton? But yeah, I was thinking about that too. As they're showing photos of him, like he even looked like Jake Taylor. He had the flowing <laughs> hair. Uh, oh, I know. The ladies loved uh, him. I mean, the ladies loved him. I, um, it, it, it's hilarious, yeah. but it's just so true, man. And I, and I also, I don't think I realized he played 14 years for the Phillies and just one year with the Marlins. And I, I didn't remember them trading him at the '97 deadline. Um, yeah. You know, I, I'm he sure. I'm sure six. at the time, I you know was like, wow, they finally moved on from Dutch, giving him a chance. And then he wins the World Series with the Marlins that year, uh, batting cleanup in Game Seven. Um, yeah. so, you know, and then and then I'm looking at his stats right now. He was a 245 career hitter. Yeah. You know, and it's like 245. I mean, I, I feel like that was an error where guys hit a little bit. You know, I feel like now 245. Like if Cameron Rupp got 245, I, yeah, I'd be I'd be high fiving if if Cameron Rupp exactly. was hitting 245. I feel like today's game, the averages are more in the 250 range. I feel like in the 90s, uh, specifically, guys were a little closer to 280, 300. Um, but again, yeah. he, he called such a great game. Everybody respect. Everybody respected him, and, and I love the fact you know they're playing all these video clips and these interviews. He embraced Philadelphia, something you touched on, and we have always, as a city in Philadelphia, Philadelphia sports fans, love the guys that loved us back. If you get the Philadelphia fan base, we will almost always get you. Yep, fans for life for sure. All right, let's jump to uh, – so rest in peace, Darren Dahl at the age of 55, gone too soon, um, and certainly brought back some old memories from from those great days of watching Phillies baseball. Let's go to, uh, you know, part of our other our podcast that we got together Sunday was going to be about the Phillies, the current-day Phillies, and their trade deadline moves, whatever, screw them. We'll talk about that another time when the season's over when we write that obituary. Um <laughs> Let's talk about the Philadelphia Eagles. Preseason opener is Thursday. You and I took in some of the open practice on Sunday. Where do you want to start with the birds? Because I know at some point here in the next 10 minutes, you and I are going to talk about this Nelson Aguilar, Jordan Matthews developing situation, as Bill Pito would say. But let's start gener- generally with Bill the birds. Pito. Yeah, your thoughts on on camp, the preseason opener, yeah. anything that jumps out to you about the birds so far, and then we'll get into this whole J-Matt thing. All I can say is the fan base of Philadelphia should be rejoicing right now due to the fact that Howie finally brought in some weapons for their young gun, the Ginger General. And it's so nice to see these weapons for Carson Wentz. He took them on a trip. 
They had a lot of fun. They worked on some personal stuff, some training together. That was great. And uh, it just goes to show he's really assuming this leadership, qual- you know, this leadership role, I should say, as the starting quarterback for the team. And from everything I heard, everybody's been impressed with how he's looked so far. Granted, I know it's training camp. I know it's OTAs. You know, let's let's roll the tape when we get in some real in-live game situations. But it's just nice to see that he has some good wide receivers to throw the ball to. You know, and then they have a couple of running backs, and running backs that they might be able to sprinkle in the slot. Donnell Pumphrey, I mean, he was lining up all types of places in the formation. I think they're going to use him a lot like Tyreek Hill. Kansas City used Tyreek Hill, a very similar type player. Um, so it's just from the offensive side of things, it looks like if things you know put together, if everyone stays healthy, I, I think this could be a very productive and effective offense. You turn over to the defense side of the ball, and all you talk about in camp is who is going to play, who are going to be the starting cornerbacks for the Philadelphia Eagles. It looks like Jalen Mills is lined up at once one of the outside corner positions, but there's an absolute battle for the other outside corner and the slot position. So that's going to be interesting to see. And the first preseason game versus the Green Bay Packers, that's what I'm going to be looking for when I tune in on Thursday at 8 o'clock. Is how do these corners play? Because everything that we've been reading from the writers that are beat writers that are covering the team, the national media is, man, they're weak at cornerback. And then the other question that leads into is kind of what we're going to talk about with Jordan Matthews, and I'll let you and Nelson Aguilar battle is, you know, is there a way, can they orchestrate a deal to bring in some type of veteran corner or – you know, there's one guy out of free agency. He's on an island all by himself. <laughs> do they pull the trigger, and do they sign a guy like Darrell Reeves, and would he even come here? So those are my thoughts going into the season so far. Well, I just I just did a quick quick uh, search over here. Uh, Aaron Rodgers is not going to play Thursday, it looks like, for the Packers. I know <laughs> I know starting quarterbacks would only take a series or two in the first in the first preseason game, but it would be nice to see especially Jalen Mills or Aaron Grimes or some of these young CJ Smith, some of these younger cornerbacks against Rodgers, albeit if it's for two or three passes, it would just be nice to have them out there in that situation. Doesn't look like they'll get that opportunity on Thursday. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you mentioned Pumphrey and, and and the weapons. And it's one of the things that jumped out to me the most from some of the stuff I saw at the open practice. At one point the Eagles lined up Pumphrey out wide right. They had Ertz. They had, I don't remember if it was Smith or Aguilar. They had Alshon Jeffrey. I mean, when you're talking about spreading the field with those types of weapons, now you've got opportunities to make plays not only down the football field but underneath because you've got that speed to back off the defense. So we'll see how creative Poopy Peterson gets. Frank Reich, how creative can they get? How many different packages will we see? Will they feature a guy or two certain weeks based on matchups? I mean, could this be the type of offense where you might not hear from Torrey Smith for two weeks or Jordan Matthews for two weeks or Sproles for a game and a half because they have so many other pieces now? Um, That will be something, I guess, that will materialize as the season goes on. I'm just wondering how that shakes out. Defensively, it's the cornerback position. You nailed it. We just don't know what the heck's going to happen. We'll have to wait and see. But my God, if they have a season where the cornerbacks are the only reason why they don't go 11 and 5, and I know it's tough to just say that, you know, hey, at the end of the day, 
this is the reason a team doesn't achieve certain goals. But if it's that transparent, if it's that glaring in week seven, in week 11, you know, the second week of the year in Kansas City, whatever it is, I'm going to be freaking rattled because you don't get that many opportunities in the National Football League to put yourself in a good spot. And I know it's only year two of Carson Wentz. I'm not trying to put the cart before the horse. But if this team is good offensively, and we know their special teams, knock on wood, are usually rock solid, if it's strictly cornerback play that keeps this team from achieving some goals this year, the entire city of Philadelphia is going to riot because they didn't address it. Let's face it. This has been an ongoing problem for, for, for the front office for, for the last 10 years. I mean, think about position-wise, right? So years after Brian Dawkins left, how long did it take us to find a couple of good seats? Oh. We, we had to sit through the Jaquan Jarrett, the Nate Allen. The CJ Gaddis, whoever the hell you want to throw out there, yeah. these guys couldn't play a lick. Well, yeah, and, and then and there was the linebacker pepper. linebacker issues for right. a while. Linebacker issues, right? Um, let's move to last year. Two Five receivers. There was like three three years with three years with no fullback on the roster. I mean, it's like every year they have they have this like blind spot to like well Glaring we'll just needs. we just we're not going to address this. We this position yeah. doesn't matter, and I, I just I mean, don't know how they get away with that. Uh, when they're right. when they're evaluating themselves, how do they say, "Man, we right. we we messed up here"? And now again, if they're not trying to win the Super Bowl this year because they're building, I get that. But the signings they made on offense tell you they're trying to win now. They signed veteran players on one-year deals, and they are in a mess of a cap situation going into next year. I know that's a full year from now or ten months from now, but they are in a mess cap-wise from everything I read as far as going into next season. And they haven't. They don't even have to pay their quarterback, franchise-type quarterback, numbers quite yet. So it'll be interesting yeah. to see how it shakes out. Well, the other thing, too, Joe, is it just, just to hit on this cornerback position. I know, and listen, I think Derek Barnett's going to be an absolute, you know, good ball player, good defensive end. But, again, that's another reason. Because Vinny Curry has not stepped up and lived to, up to his contract, that was another reason why the Eagles felt like they needed to take another defensive end yep. to improve their pass rush. And if they do have an improved pass rush, then you can get away with having a little below-average corners. But the one thing I would have done, and I know I'm going to beat this horse until the horse is dead and on the mat, but that's why I would have drafted a guy like Kevin King, the guy who we'll see on Thursday night who the Green Bay Packers went back in and jumped back into the first round, or you, and they made him the first pick uh, of, uh, I'm sorry, they made him the first pick of the second or uh, of the second round. And he's a guy that played with Sidney Jones at Washington. Now the question is, you could have drafted a guy like Kevin King. You could have had Sidney Jones come out, come back from this injury. Now you have two solid cornerbacks that played together in college that probably would have been your cornerstone corners for the next 10 years. I'm just saying, you know, I hate to say, let's look in the past, but if I was the GM, I think that's the route that I would have taken. All right, let's get to this Jordan Matthews-Nelson Aguilar situation. And it's only a situation in recent days because the Eagles haven't put out the fire. There's a lot of talk that Nelson Aguilar is going to get reps in the slot this year. A spot, an area at the wide receiver position, normally held by Jordan Matthews, has been more than productive and gone about his business in a professional manner. Now, I'm going to I'm gonna save my I love Jordan Matthews rant for a few minutes from now, but this whole situation right now is, is, is almost becoming a distraction. And I don't know if it's just the social media. I don't know if it's talked about in the Eagles locker room, obviously. But the biggest story almost every day for the last 96 hours has been either Aguilar's having a great camp, Matthews, 
uh, may see less reps. Aguilar and Matthews may split time. Matthews might be traded. I mean, what the hell is going on? Is are the is this the media? Is this Philadelphia? Uh, the Eagles beat writers just looking to for clicks on their stories. Is, is this are they making more of this than is there, or is this a situation where the Eagles legitimately might release or trade Jordan Matthews before before the start of the season? If you had a handicap. This race right now, what happens with Jordan Matthews by the time they take on the Redskins in week one? I think he's going to be traded. Here's the deal. I'm not a believer in Aguilar. Don't get me wrong. But you look at it this way, okay? The good thing is Jordan Matthews still has some value, okay? And when I say he has value, that means you could be able to pull something for him. Now, Aguilar is a total unknown in the slot, but his game might tailor to the slot position. You know Jordan Matthews is probably next year going to leave, going to be on the open market, and some dumbass team is going to pay them $40 million for his services. Something that we're not going to be able to do because you've already said that we're an absolute cap hell. So, the bottom line is, the thing to do would be see if you can trade them, acquire a draft pick, and then trade that pick to get another starting corner in the fold. If you can get a guy like Bradley Roby, a guy from Denver, who I really like. Now, they're also their they're good cornerback. What's his name? I think his name's Chris Harris. Chris Harris. Yeah. I knew it started with a C. Chris Harris. If you could pluck Bradley Roby, a guy apparently that the Eagles liked throughout the draft process when he was drafted, and he's going to be an unrestricted free agent after this year, Denver needs another wide receiver, another weapon, because some of their other wide receivers that they've drafted over the years have not panned out. I'd pull the trigger, man. Cornerback is a glaring need on this team. And I think receiver-wise, I even think that kid from Texas, the kid that everybody's high on, Johnson. Marcus Johnson. Marcus Johnson. I I think he could play the slot. And worst comes to worst, you could pump free your spoles in the slot. So I think it's something that we could do. If if if, if a team offered a fifth-round pick in next year's draft for Jordan Matthews, are you taking it? Fifth rounder, no. I won't take anything less than a four. All right. I'd like I'd like to get a third. I mean, he was his. Well, he was what second round. Second pick rounder. Third round pick? Second rounder. Second rounder. And he's now, done he's nothing proved. but produce. Well, that's uh, again reason why I take no less than a third, or it must be some type of attractive player like a starting corner. I just you know this whole I mean? th- this whole thing bothers me because, you know, it, it we, the shiny new toys, right? You have you have Jeffrey. You have Smith, short-term deals, but they're shiny new toys. So all the fans want to talk about them. They've forgotten that for the last three seasons, Jordan Matthews has been the only dependable player at wide receiver uh, maybe two years since Macklin left. I mean, it's, it's, it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing that, that we forget as a fan base what this guy has done. I know it's only six. He's averaged six and a half touchdowns in his career per season, but who else is giving you that production? He goes about his business. He doesn't say boo. He said he would never hold out over a contract situation. He's been at practice every single day this year when there are other guys that have missed time. He has a great relationship with Carson Wentz. He's a pro's pro. He appears to be a decent human being, and he's produced and moved around. He tried the outside. He's played slot. He doesn't say anything. He shows up on Sunday, and he produces in big situations. To me, I don't understand it. I don't understand why... They can't figure out a way to either keep him long-term, and maybe they will, or just just squash all this, squash all the talk by saying Jordan Matthews is going nowhere, period. 
I mean, I, I don't get it. I don't get it. Why? If you move Jordan Matthews, you have one injury, now your wide receiving core is average again. Because as you pointed out, Nelson Aguilar, we're still waiting for him to make a big play. Take a breath. Take a breath. <laughs> I mean, we're waiting for him to make a big play. This is a guy, did we forget that he pulled himself from, from a game, going into a game because he, he wasn't mentally able to handle the pressure? Have we forgotten about that? That wasn't four years ago. That was last freaking season. He sat himself out, basically. I don't want to go to war with that guy. I'm sorry. Maybe he's better suited for the slot. Maybe they should have realized that two years ago. All right. All right. All right. It's okay. It's okay. He's still on the team, buddy. <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, nah, I, no, I'm I, telling you, I, if you looked on social media, that's all that anybody's talking about. That's every article. Is less reps for Matthews, more reps for Aguilar. What a great camp Aguilar's having. He looks awesome. Well, Mike Quick, you told yeah. me today, Mike Quick, most talented wide receiver on the team is Aguilar. Like, why are why is Mike Quick getting paid by the Eagles to spew this positive Aguilar nonsense? And maybe they're trying to boost the value of Nelson Aguilar and try to trade him. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, all right, I, I got a Matthews. I got I got a quick game for you. All right, you got. I want you it. to give me. I'm going to read you teams, all right? Uh-huh. More, more playoff wins than the Cowboys. We're going to troll the Cowboys. More playoff wins than the Cowboys since 1997. I'm going to give you a team. I want you to tell me yes or no. <laughs> so it's going to be a lot of Yeah, it is. Actually, let's do, let's do it this way. I'm just going to read you the list of teams. More playoff wins than the Cowboys because it's going to take a while. You ready? All right, good. More playoff wins than the Cowboys since 1997. New England, Baltimore, Pittsburgh. Denver, Philadelphia, Indianapolis, Green Bay, New York Giants, New York Jets, Seattle Seahawks, San Francisco 49ers, the Saints, the Vikings, it just says L.A. I guess that could be any L.A. team at that point. Atlanta Falcons, the Buccaneers, the Tennessee Titans, the Carolina Panthers, the Chargers, the Cardinals, the Raiders, the Jaguars, the Dolphins, and the Bears all have more playoff wins than the Cowboys since 97. That's right, I said the Jaguars in there. And the Bears and the Raiders. Shit. So suck at That's Dallas. Three <laughs> in the last twenty years, maybe. Yeah, because oh. they got two. What last year? Right? No, they didn't oh, win any game Bay last Bay. year. Oh, that's right. Green Bay jumped them after the bye. Yep, I got you. Yep. All right, brother. Hit him straight at golf tonight. Always a pleasure. Woo! We'll see what happens, man. Hopefully, the driver comes out of the witness protection program. And I need it. Good lord. It's the Brotherly Love Podcast, SoundCloud, and iTunes. Thanks for listening, everybody. Really appreciate the support. And, hey, Joe, you didn't even make the announcement. What's that? We are now official members of the Philadelphia Podcast Society. Yeah, we are. Brotherly Love Podcast. Yeah, we are. All right? And next year, when you're in town, we're doing the Philly Festival. I love it. Rock that mother. I love it. Maybe the check from them to us is in the mail. (laughs) Exactly. Get some advertisers. To keep this machine rolling, baby. For John Mead and Joe O'Donnell, next time we'll see you. Thanks for listening to the Brotherly Love Podcast on SoundCloud.com.